Quitting your job. Hello, desk displeased, cubicle crestfallen, open space sorrowful, corner office objectors, home den defeated, and coffee shop sullen. My name is Brock Armstrong, and I am not the workplace hero. You are the real hero here. Well, at least until the end of this episode. Things may change after you hear this one. You know, it's odd. In school, we spend a lot of time and give tons of attention to putting together a resume, building a CV, and generally how we should go about getting a job. But we give pretty much no airtime at all to how to leave a job, quit a position, or walk away from a contract. Personally, as a member of the first generation to not do as well as their parents, and by that I mean Generation X, I think that's pretty... meh. Gone are the days of choosing a career, climbing the corporate ladder, and retiring at 65 with a comfy pension and a gold watch. Many of my friends have had more than five jobs in their adult lives. Some jobs ended, some never really got rolling, some of them we were fired from, and some <laughs> we actually quit. Now, according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the average worker currently holds 10 different jobs before the age of 40, and this number is projected to grow. Forrester Research predicts that today's youngest workers, and that might be you, will hold 12 to 15 jobs in their lifetime. Back in 2005, I'd been working for the Alberta provincial government for nearly five years. I was comfortable. I had a pension. I had a great team and a decent enough office with big windows, and my coworker was also one of my closest friends. We actually planned activities together outside of work, and you probably know how rare that can be. But then one day, it happened. One of the cool, young firms in town not so subtly dropped the hint to me that there would be a spot for me if I were to become available. The pay would be less and the responsibility would be higher, but the projects would be cooler and there would be more room for upward growth, which is unlike my government job, where without going back to school, I was already nearing the top of my surprisingly low pay grade. And to top it off, I would rarely ever have to wear a tie again. It didn't take much for me to draft my letter of resignation, cash in my vacation days, which actually overlapped really nicely with my new job starting date, talk about double dipping, and I made the move. Now, I have been accused before of not having the gene that's responsible for the feeling of nostalgia, and I was accused of that by my mother, no less, so you may want to take this with a grain of salt, but you know what? I never looked back. Not only that, I have quit at least five more jobs since then. How did I do it? How should you do it? Should you do it? Well, <laughs> that's what we're going to talk about today. But first, I want you to write down this URL, workplacehero.me slash getfitguy. That will take you to the Quick and Dirty Tips Network website, where I recently became the host of the Get Fit Guy podcast. And if you're a fan of these short, snappy, and information-packed podcasts, you'll totally dig the Get Fit Guy and all of the other Quick and Dirty Tips podcasts. So, if you want to begin an exercise routine but you don't know where to start, or if you've been working out for a while and you aren't getting the results you want, I will give you the tips you need to reach all of your fitness goals. So, head over to workplacehero.me slash getfitguy or just search for Get Fit Guy Quick and Dirty Tips and check it out.
Okay, back to quitting your job without leaving a trail of destruction in your wake. But before we get to some good strategies and graceful exits, let's talk about some of the not-so-graceful moves. Now, quitting the job that I told you about earlier was pretty smooth for a few reasons, not including my emotionless heart. The biggest reason was that I had a job all lined up. I also knew and liked the people I was going to work with, and I walked into a guaranteed paycheck. But that's not how it always goes. I have left three jobs in the last 10 years with nothing but a hope and a dream and, well, frankly, a partner with a solid income, which I will never take for granted. Having a supportive partner was extremely helpful for me. Along with the elephant in the room, being a white, middle-aged man in North America. It's awful being a kid. No one listens to you. It's rotten being old. No one listens to you. I'm a white male, age 18 to 49. Everyone listens to me, no matter how dumb my suggestions are. I am fully aware that I have a distinct advantage here. I wish it were not so, and I, I attempt to do my share to put my overly confident, pasty people in their place. It will be a long battle, but I believe that we as a society are ready, and I am willing to use all my Homer Simpson-esque white male privilege to help fight the good fight. Black lives matter, love is love, I'm with her. So with that acknowledged, here are a few lessons that I've learned along the way and a few that I found in a great article at themuse.com for jumping in headfirst. Eyes closed, head first, can't lose. Number one, you don't need the approval of others. When I would tell people about my plan to leave my office job in favor of being a freelance fitness coach, I wanted them to reassure me with statements like, oh wow, you are so brave and good for you and even a friendly go get em, buddy. But unfortunately, that's not really what I got. Instead, I got faced with a lot of Wait, you're doing what? Or do you really think you have enough clients for that? And my favorite one, I guess you can always go back to the liquor store, which is where I worked in my early 20s. But in the end, it really didn't matter. I was the only one who needed to feel good about my decision. And I did. <laughs> At least in between beer-fueled doubt sessions, I did. Anyway. Number two, scary is exciting and change is good. There's a reason that people love to downhill ski, go mountain biking or open water swimming or ride motorcycles. We like being scared. There's a part of being wholly unsure about your situation that makes you want to run and cry, but the other part of it is actually thrilling. In the first few days, all right, months after leaving my desk job, I'd sit down at my computer and feel kind of lost. Some days I'd be tempted to put checked Facebook on my to-do list just so I had something to cross off. But at the same time, I felt liberated. I had no idea what was coming next and that actually made me feel surprisingly motivated and optimistic. But it wasn't until my partner said, Someday you're going to make more than $400 a month again, right? That I actually felt completely in control again. Somehow answering that question, looking the woman that I love in the eye and saying, yes, absolutely, gave me the reassurance I needed to land my next big client. Number three, you'll never know until you try. 
<laughs> I hate to sound like a second-rate motivational speaker, but this sentiment is really true. You can only guess at what you're actually capable of until you actually just frickin' do it. Honestly, I didn't dislike my full-time job, but it didn't set my hair on fire either. It was repetitive and, frankly, felt kinda easy for me. And while I did perfect the art of taking someone's pretty Photoshop designs and turn them into code that would appear consistent across nearly everyone's crappy computers, I knew deep down that there was more out there for me. Now, fast forward to now, and I've accomplished things that I never even thought were a possibility for me. I've been published in places that I assumed were mere pipe dreams, and I've worked with people who are essentially celebrities in my eyes. Just think, this podcast wouldn't have even happened had I stayed in the safe routine. And number four, your career really doesn't, or at least shouldn't, define you. We all have, at least in some point in our lives, had the tendency to use our careers to define ourselves. But it's important to remember that your job isn't who you are. It's what you do to make money to afford to do the things that define you. As Muse Managing Editor Jenny Mayer explained in her article about being laid off, your position definitely adds to your life, but it doesn't make up the entirety of it. When I left my last full-time job, I felt the need to justify my decision and clarify every last detail until my friends actually put a moratorium on the subject. Apparently, I felt a need to explain my employment situation in order to give myself a purpose and identity. And it turns out that's not really the case. All of that pressure to define myself using my full-time job, or lack thereof, was totally self-imposed. In fact, most people honestly didn't care if I was slinging beers or repairing bikes, as long as I was happy. Although, above anything else, they were most likely just wondering why I gave them a play-by-play -play career breakdown when all they asked was, Do you need a bag today, sir? In an article over at Fortune.com, they say that before you ditch your current position in favor of a new gig, take the three M's test. And the three M's are... M number one. Are you miserable? M number two... Are you making enough money? And M number three, are you getting mentored? Now let's break those down. M number one, are you miserable? Plain and simple, life is too short for misery. Figure out if you're having a random bad day or if you're stuck in an endless string of them. And here's a simple rule for that. You shouldn't dread going to work. If you're miserable, leave. But before you do, Consider whether there's anything that you can do or ask for that would make the misery go away. If you like the company but don't like the job, tell someone how you're feeling. Better yet, bring a plan to your boss for how you would change your job to make it better. Be a part of your own solution. And if they can't fix your pain point, well, that'll make your decision to leave much easier. M number two. Are you making enough money? Are you making enough money? Well, how much is enough? Rather than fuss over the numbers in a spreadsheet, how about making a list of the lifestyle that you want? My list would be pretty simple. Live somewhere with no commute, eat out a couple of times a week, 
have a membership at a gym that I actually like going to, and take a few vacations per year, one of which is overseas. Now, clarifying success in terms of daily life versus dollars makes it easier to see how much is actually enough. When your primary motivation is money, you tend to forget about the things that are more important to your day-to-day -day satisfaction, such as challenging projects, opportunities for personal growth, and my personal work ethos, working on cool projects with awesome people. Think about what you truly need financially, and if you're under the line, then it's time to go. M number three, are you getting mentored? Do you have a supervisor or experienced colleague who has shown interest in your professional development? Do you have a peer or a mentor in your company you turn to when you have a professional question? These coaches aren't easy to come by and they shouldn't be abandoned casually. A great mentor is more likely a clear path toward a higher compensation and job satisfaction than an impulsive job change is. Personally, my own mentor not only kept me employed, but also found me other clients, raised my hourly rate, and actually took me back after I went and worked for the competition for 18 months. And then he somehow made it seem like it was his idea. If you can't think of anyone at your current company who fits that description, it's probably worth seeking out another opportunity. Okay, now it may seem like I've been building to some huge reveal of the secret handshake you can give to ensure that there are no hard feelings or burned bridges, but honestly, just by simply being a good person and a good employee and a reasonably honest human about your life, your goals, your feelings, and your future, you will probably do fine. But here are some tips from an article at the Sydney Morning Herald that breaks it down for you, especially for those of you who truly hate your job with a white-hot rage of a thousand suns. Remember, the story your employer will tell about you is key. They don't have to love you, but you don't want them bad-mouthing you either. That's the kiss of death. People are moving every day in this new economy. If you burn a bridge with your old employer, that bridge may wind up at your dream job and then they won't hire you. So let's start with this. How to tell your boss. Every organization is different, but generally it's best to inform your boss in person and well in advance. And make sure to thank your supervisor for sure. Also, craft a clear story and stick to it. You're going to have to tell those people that you're working with at some point, so work with your employer to decide when, what, and how your colleagues will be notified, and make sure you authentically express your appreciation for working with colleagues and leave things on a high note whenever possible. And make sure to say thank you. And mean it. Just because you're leaving the company does not mean you're leaving your relationships behind. So make sure you thank your mentors and sponsors and craft a plan so you can stay in touch. You never know how and when your paths may cross again in the future. Also, make sure to have a transition plan and put it in writing and give it to your supervisor or your boss or your manager. And this is to ensure that you don't leave your team or your employer in the lurch. Make sure you're available in the event it takes some time to find your replacement and be willing to train someone to bridge the gap until they find somebody. And this is really important. Work until your last day as if it was your first day. 
Minimize the amount of disruption your departure may create by focusing on delivering quality work right up until the last hour of that last day. You won't regret it. Okay, now your homework. In order to get the most out of each and every opportunity, even the ones you end up hating, you must dig deep. You must pick apart every single aspect to figure out what's making you dread going into the office each day. You can start this process by literally creating a pros and cons list and filling it out throughout the next work week. And that's your homework for this week. Look for patterns. Everything that involves organization falls into a pro. Everything that involves your micromanaging boss does not. And there is nothing too small to go on this list because at the end of the exercise, you can use the pro column as your ideal job description to be matched up against any real opportunities should they come your way. And you can use the con column as, well, red flags to keep an eye out for while you're doing future interviews. To be honest, I don't believe in the perfect job being out there for anyone. I think that this is an unreasonable expectation. But that doesn't mean you need to settle for being unhappy, disgruntled, overworked, frustrated, marginalized, and downright miserable. Examining the glum factors that are causing you to be glummy glummerson will help you figure out where to go next, whether that's simply about adjusting something with your current situation or bailing and finding something completely different. Because you can't see the future, you also can't see precisely where your career path will take you. And like that time I fell out of the raft while we were whitewater rafting, it can be fun, exciting, scary, dangerous, painful, and perhaps foolhardy, but it usually ends with a cold beer and a great story to tell your friends. Now, go make this week a pro, not a con. Workplace Hero is researched, written, narrated, and recorded by me, Brock Armstrong, in sunny as heck Vancouver, Canada. Podcast logo by Ken Cunningham and music courtesy of my old band, The Irregular Heartbeats. Extra voices provided by Eleanor Cohen.